You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Sammy. And I'm Michelle. And, and this, this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. I've never had a problem examining my life. In fact, the introspective youngest of three, I might have been in my head too much. Every twist and turn and up and down throughout my childhood and young adult years, I painfully considered every angle. I've been an adult in many ways for as long as I could remember. In fact, as I got older, a big challenge was to loosen up, to let go of my intentions and just be in the moment. Many years later, I now realize that I was the exception. Most are content living the unexamined life. That is, hopefully, until the urge to grow up and start adulting takes hold. Now, you may be listening right now and thinking this doesn't apply to you. Maybe you're in your 40s or 50s. Maybe you answered that call long ago. But maybe not. Maybe it's time you started taking a closer look at why you do what you do. Or maybe it's your children or a loved one. Are you or they living a good life now? Why not? Sammy and Michelle are the dynamic sister duo behind the podcast and platform Build a Wealthy Spirit, formerly status post-adulting, in which they examine life, intentionality, and explore what a good life really looks like. Sammy and Michelle, welcome to Earn and Invest. Michelle, I was listening to an episode of your podcast, and you were describing how you and Sammy as young adults left Michigan and moved to the Bay Area, and you were living quite a life. I mean, you were taking all sorts of trips to Vegas and Europe. I believe one of you had a stylist and the other was using a laundry service. You both were at dinner one night and you get a glimpse of Sammy's bank account balance. Tell me, Michelle, what was your reaction to that? Sammy and I were at dinner one night, which we ate out all the time when we were living in San Francisco. And I got a glimpse of her bank account and I noticed that it was a lot lower than I would have expected. It was... For somebody who was making good money in the Bay Area, I was a little bit surprised. And since she's my sister, I very bluntly asked her, is that all the money you have? And that ended up sparking a conversation between us about how she was spending her money, how I was spending our money. And it really forced us to re-examine like, hey, we're living a pretty lavish lifestyle. We're both felt like we're making good money and we were definitely spending a good chunk of it. And I think that was a moment where all of a sudden I realized at least, oh, we might be not keeping up with our own means. And so that was a really good opportunity for us to start having a conversation around personal finance. Sammy, were you on autopilot? I mean, were you paying attention to things? I was definitely on autopilot. I was you know, for me, I, you know, wasn't in any credit card debt. So in my mind, that was perfectly fine. I'm, you know, making money, I'm spending almost all of it. I think I had maybe a small portion going to my 401k. But for the most part, I was spending everything that came in, which to me didn't seem unreasonable, because I had no idea what else I would do with that money. And we were also living like a really enjoyable life. At that time, Although it was starting to become 
old, you could say, but we were going out all the time. We were eating out all the time. We were traveling all the time. And, you know, to me, it seemed worth it. I'm like, oh, you know, there's no need to have extra money in my account. So I would literally like spend everything. And then when my next paycheck came in, I would pay off that credit card bill and then spend again. And I just didn't see anything wrong with that until Michelle pointed it out. Michelle, I want to come to this idea of what living a good life was for you at that point in your life. But before that, you know, it sounds a little exhausting. (laughs) It was very exhausting. I don't think we really had taken the moment to stop and check in with ourselves. And one of the really cool things about starting to look at money and how we were spending money is it also forced us to look at how we were spending our time. We had friends coming in every weekend. We had plans every single day. I remember my calendar, my social calendar was booked all the time. I wasn't getting any sleep. I was drinking a lot. I was eating very unhealthy and starting to reflect on what I was spending my money on. I was like, man, my schedule is booked. I'm tired. And do I actually like the things I'm spending my money on? Or am I just spending it on whatever I think people who are at that time in their 20s spending their money on. Sammy, it's funny because I'm getting this visual of sitting down to eat dinner and being incredibly hungry. And there's this big pizza in front of me. (laughs) And I just keep on eating and eating and eating (laughs) and not realizing that maybe I'm over consuming. It sounds like a time of overconsumption in your lives, not just with spending money, but a little bit with everything. Yeah, it's funny that you say that, Jordan, because I think Michelle and I were both, I mean, I don't want to say we were like overweight because, you know, we're normal weight, but we were definitely at our bigger side. We were very comfortable. Um, We, you know, we were spending all our money. We were always tired because we'd be traveling or we'd have been drinking, you know, over the weekend. So we were literally always fatigued. And I would say Michelle probably had a little bit more free time than I did. I was working and still having to do a lot of work outside of work and trying to make this life still work on top of that. And so I was just completely exhausted. And I do think I was starting to spend my time with things that I actually didn't want to do if I really looked at it, but just had never taken the time to consider what I wanted. Michelle, where do you think this conception of the good life came from? Like this idea of overconsumption and of kind of living your best life now? I think I can see it go back to two different things. One, growing up, we grew up in an Indian household in Michigan, and we were definitely well supported by our parents. We were really happy growing up, but I think in some ways, we felt like in Michigan, we had everything that we needed. At the same time, when I left my when I left college and I, I went back home to Michigan for a year, I was living with my parents. I wasn't making a lot of money. And so I knew that I really wanted to be financially independent of my parents. So when I moved to San Francisco, I really focused on getting a job to help support me like that. So I got a job in sales, which is almost solely the purpose is to make money in those type of roles. And then once I hit that goal, I didn't really have any goals outside of that. I didn't think much about what I would do with my money. I didn't think there was a purpose for it. Like once I was paying my bills, once I paid off my student loans, I didn't have a car. So I figured as long as I was putting some of it in my 401k, I was doing okay. And I think the other part of that is that I think there's a lot of marketing out there that tells you, okay, this is how you should live your best life is what we would always say. We say, hashtag, we're living our best life. And it's really living for the Instagram It's the photos, you know, you're going on vacation all the time, you're having all these great experiences, but it's really about things that look good to the outside world. But maybe we didn't really stop to think, oh, why why are we doing these things? What's really driving it? And I think a lot of it was just like external factors, like things that we saw, things that we saw our friends were doing. And so we just followed along without thinking about it too much. Sammy, I'm interested in what Michelle talked about kind of as your parents being immigrants and you come from an Indian family. And we kind of see this a lot, right? In immigrant families, that there's such a stress on making it that kind of forms the conception of what a good life is, but not a lot of stress on what happens next, right? Because often immigrant parents are working so hard just to get to that salary, just to get to that quality of life. But then their kids start 
where their parents ended, your conception of good life didn't look a lot like your parents at that point, did it? No, it was funny because while Michelle was talking um, and you asked that question, I was actually thinking about my parents. So our parents, you know, they both come from really large families. Our mom is actually one of 14 and our dad is one of seven. So both really large families in India and by no means were they like well off. Um, I think they both, you know, struggled a bit financially and worked really hard to come to the United States. and. They also worked really, really hard for their money. Like they just, you know, they learned everything that they could and they went out of their way to provide the best life for us. And I think they really had a problem with the idea of being cheap or frugal. Like they, they really, to them, it was really important to spend your money for experiences, spend your money for your kids. And, you know, our mom was a nurse, our dad was working in a factory, but they still like put us in piano lessons and put us in tennis lessons and moved to a nicer area to make sure we went to the best schools. And they really wanted to make sure that we had the best opportunities possible. And if there's anybody in our family who was not spending money, they were frowned upon and they were seen as like torturing their entire family. And so I think while our parents really wanted us to work hard, they really emphasized living for the now and living for today because that's how they lived their life. And we definitely saw that with them. They were the cliche family in, you know, in Detroit at that time during the recession. They had just bought like a huge house um, that was maybe like a little outside their means so they could still afford it. And then my dad immediately lost his job in the, you know, recession with, you know, Detroit and the the whole auto industry. And so then it, we became dependent on my mom's one paycheck. And for them, you know, it was all about making sure we had or at least seemed like we had everything we needed. So, Michelle, it's not surprising then that you at that point in your life became what you call Henry's. Uh, what is a Henry <laughs> and what does it describe? A Henry is an acronym that means high earner, not rich yet. And it basically describes us in that situation, which is people who feel like they're making a really high income, whatever that means to you, and spending so much of it that you're not really building wealth. So we didn't really have a concept of the fact that when you make money, you can actually do things with it to build financial security for your future. We were being Henry's and we were just spending the money that we got. It was definitely like water in our hands. That's what a Henry is. And that's why we, when we heard the term, we really related to it. So Sammy, you were these Henry's. You have this conversation at dinner. Michelle calls you out on the carpet and says, wait, what? That's all the money you have. One of your reactions was this idea that you would put dollar amounts on experiences. Talk about that and how it changed the way you thought about spending. After Michelle pointed this out to me, I eventually ended up down a rabbit hole and we ended up getting into financial independence. And so I started tracking my spending. And once tracking my spending, then everything just became very apparent. Like I'm spending hundreds of dollars on food. And truthfully, I'm not a foodie. Like I actually pretty am indifferent. I'm pretty indifferent to eating certain types of food. And so everything that I started doing started to become scrutinized. And it was really interesting because it would even apply to some of my friends. Like I remember shortly after we, uh, shortly after I started tracking my spending, one of our friends came to visit us and she was visiting us, but I spent like 400 extra dollars that weekend due to Ubers and things we were doing, things I wouldn't normally do. I remember when she came to visit, she was actually like kind of nagging me and criticizing me a lot. So I actually didn't feel that great after the weekend was done. And then because I was tracking my spending, I was like, I just spent $400 to feel worse about myself. And so everything started to take a perspective of, was this actually worth the money that I paid for it? And that really changed my whole idea of like the value of money. Michelle, it occurs to me that at this time of your life, you guys weren't only looking at finances, but starting to take a harder look at other parts of your life. What other things were you evaluating besides just the money aspect? I think a big thing for us was money, like you said, and time and energy. Money for us really just represents those two things, but time 
especially is a non-renewable resource, like you end up losing it very quickly and energy as well. So for us, when we talk about things like, okay, we did this this weekend and it cost us $400. Yes, it's a monetary number that we can attach to something, but really what it does is lets us reflect, okay, we were traveling all over the city. We were outside, say in the cold, we didn't get our work done. We didn't really enjoy ourselves. We spent all this money on drinks, which is just making us tired. And so we started to measure all of those different things just to get a look at, hey, how how are we spending our time? How do we feel throughout the day? And are there different things that are affecting it? And I think actually measuring all of those little things really started to help us understand oh, okay, there are clear things that are affecting us. For example, if I drink over the weekend, I'm tired all week. That's really affecting my energy. That's affecting my performance. It's not really letting me be the best version of myself. So Sammy, let's transition here. You guys are coming to these epiphanies. You're looking at your finances. You're looking at your life. At some point, you make a fairly drastic life change. You both do. You leave the Bay Area and you end up in a small town. Walk me through that decision process. Yeah. So once we started tracking our spending, I immediately realized that Michelle and I had to get out of San Francisco ASAP. (laughs) (laughs) And because I was like, you know, we spend way too much money on rent and we didn't even feel safe. Like we were living um, in it, you know, what we would have thought was a fine area of San Francisco, but we were, you know, worried that we would have a break in. And actually the people who moved in after us did have a break in. Michelle was actually like having night terrors. And so I was like, you know what, we need to get out of here. Um, so we were, we were plotting on moving and I ended up actually moving in with my parents at that time who were living in the Bay area as well. Cause they had followed us. Um, so I was living with my parents. Um, so I was actually saving money that way. But I was still commuting to work and my work because they were restructuring things. A new company had actually bought them out. They had actually decreased my pay. So I was feeling a little bit maybe disgruntled and unsatisfied with like the way my money things were lining up, even though I had the benefit of living with my parents. And that's when, you know, I'm I'm a physician assistant. So you get those emails all the time about like random jobs and I almost never pay attention to them. And this job had come in to the middle of nowhere, California, um, but the pay was super high and it was a job where I could still qualify for loan forgiveness and I could still speak Spanish, which I just learned. So I was like, wow, this is actually an ideal job for me, minus the fact that it's in the middle of nowhere, which would be a negative for other people. But to me, it seemed fine. So Michelle and I ended up actually moving to this little small town that's like two hours away from any other town, but for the benefit of getting a high income and also getting to live at a very low cost. Michelle, were you resistant to this idea in the beginning? I mean, the bear is kind of happening, right? That all happened over a few years. And one thing that happened during that time was the pandemic, the shutdown. So a lot of that actually ended up shaping a lot of our decisions. But when Sammy had first suggested we leave the Bay Area, I was resistant to it. I had built a life there. I was doing a lot of things. I was less into the financial independence and the personal finance stuff. Sammy had started dragging me to meetings, but I hadn't fully wrapped my head around it. I'm a natural saver. So I wasn't, I thought she was bad with her money. I didn't, what was worrying so much about myself, but I did know that I was like really tired. I did feel like I was really busy and overwhelmed. And so by the time our lease was up, we both knew that we were going to, we were both happy with the decision to leave the Bay area. I actually moved out. I went to Austin at the end of 2019. But with the way the pandemic happened, I ended up losing my job at the end of 2020. My parents convinced me that I should move back in with them. We were a little happy family of four in a two-bedroom apartment. One year later, I was ready to move out again. And Sammy happened to get this job. And I was still not working. I was pursuing a lot of my own projects. And I thought I was doing the math in my head. And I thought, oh, well, if I move to a low cost of living area, I can actually extend my runway. I can stay out of work a little bit of longer, continue working on my personal projects. 
And sure, I'm in the middle of nowhere, but maybe that'll help me focus a little bit more. Sammy, I love the way Michelle talks about learning about financial independence as Sammy started dragging me to meetings (laughs) as if it was AA or something. Um, Sammy, the name of your podcast used to be Status Post-Adulting, right? So now it's Building a Wealthy Spirit. But, you know, it sounds a lot like you were starting to make some of those more adulting decisions. What does adulting mean to you? Adulting alone, you know, and I think the definition varies for everybody, but for me, adulting, I always perceive that as the basics of learning how to pay your bills on time, doing laundry for some people. We were doing laundry at a very young age, (laughs) doing laundry or um, just, you know, staying on top of the basics that you need to stay on top of for adulting, meal prepping, um, you know, just kind of taking care of yourself. So we came up with the name status post-adulting originally because status post pretty much just means after it's like, it's a medical term where like a lot of times we'll talk about people after surgery will be like status post knee surgery. And so status post adulting seemed appropriate at that time as a name that would reflect life after adulting, like thinking about life beyond just doing the basics. So Michelle, speaking of adulting, um, let's talk about where you were currently. So right now I'm actually two years. I haven't been working. I haven't been working for a corporate company, which has been really, really amazing. And part of the reason I was able to do that was even though we were really bad with our finances, I was actually saving a good chunk of my money. Um, I was still spending a good amount, but I would just sort of stick a ton in my savings account. And so when I left my job at the end of 2020, I started doing the math. And I realized, oh, I could actually stay out of the workforce for a year, two years. And as I was starting to learn more about financial independence, I was like, well, I could kind of do this mini retirement a little bit early. And I was a little bit unsatisfied with my sales career. So I was like, I really want to start a podcast with my sister. I really wanted to write. So I decided to take time off, take like a little sabbatical and explore my interest. And one year turned to two years. I'm in my third year now. And I don't know if I'm going to go back. (laughs) I was about to say, Michelle, you did what I see a lot of people do, even when they're getting to that point of financial independence, is they euphemistically use the term sabbatical. Um, (laughs) And yet it's a very open-ended sabbatical. You know, it's been two to three years now. How are you finding life without a job, quote unquote? It's so nice. (laughs) I think really though what it is, is it's not even so much that I hated my job. Like I always loved having coworkers. I loved the people I worked with. I really enjoyed challenging myself. But as we started to take a look at our lives a little bit more and and examine what was going on, I really didn't feel like what I was doing was aligned with any of my values or aligned with anything I was interested in. And so... That was a big part of, I think, all of this work that we were doing and seeing like, hey, like my work is very draining sometimes. It was making me very anxious. Like I was let go at the end of 2020. So my job was peak anxiety at that time. And I was working so hard. And I remember thinking, I wonder if I just applied this for myself. Like there are different projects that I want to do. I'm always under this idea that I'm not a very disciplined person. But for some reason, when I have a boss, I can do whatever they want me to do. And so that was part of the reason why I took the jump and decided to stop working. But it's been really nice because I think, quote unquote, not working is actually just me working on meaningful projects that maybe don't lead to a profit right away. But it's things that I want to build my skills in, things that I'm really looking at the 10-year, 20-year vision and thinking, okay, if I can keep at this, I think something will come out of it and I will be able to support myself. But until that point, I'm going to make decisions that maybe are taking away from my lifestyle, but are letting me optimize on a huge part of my lifestyle, which is not having to be in an office nine to five working for someone else.
We are talking to Sammy and Michelle. They are the hosts and creators of the Build a Wealthy Spirit podcast. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later we'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week. These are chef-prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later... You have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is there's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor. And it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner, and now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com slash E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Sammy and Michelle. They are the dynamic duo behind the podcast and platform Build a Wealthy Spirit, formerly status post-adulting, in which they examine life, intentionality, and explore what a good life really looks like. Sammy, we were just talking about Michelle leaving her her sales job and taking a quote unquote sabbatical. The quotes were added by me, of course. Um, (laughs) Tell me how it felt watching your sister go through this. I mean, Sammy, you're a physician's assistant. You're like me. We're in healthcare heads to the grindstone. You know, we will be employed or have been employed a lot of our lives and probably will continue. Was it hard for you to watch your sister go through this? And, And what did you think about her decisions? Yeah. I mean, it was interesting, you know, in the beginning we were working on the podcast And I think very much I applied my little like type A worker B attitude to the podcast. So I'd be like, oh, like, what are you working on? And I would constantly be asking her what she's doing for the podcast. And that would obviously be very annoying for her. (laughs) I think, you know, we had conversations about it and I had to like learn to like kind of let go and I moved to the backseat and then I would just see her, you know, do her thing. And in the beginning, you know, it didn't seem like she was doing a lot. <laughs> I'll be honest. Um, you know, I'd come home, I'd be like, so what'd you do all day? <laughs> and 
it didn't seem like she was doing a ton of stuff. And but I knew that it also takes time to just get used to not doing anything after working for so long. Um, and she would tell me that, and I would kind of like, you know, I would hear her, but maybe not fully understand what she was saying. But then, you know, eventually, like probably after a year or so of being off um, and working on the podcast, she started to pursue like anything she was interested in. Like, I remember she told me she's going to take this, I think it was like a $3,000 writing class. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing for somebody without a job to do. (laughs) And, but, you know, she felt really confident about taking the class and you know, like she said, she's she's generally a saver. So I figured, I guess it's probably a reasonable decision. She ended up meeting so many people who align with her and her values. And they ended up, a lot of them actually listened to the podcast. She has built like a whole community through this writing program. And then after taking the writing class, she's like, okay, I'm going to take this small bets class. I'm like, okay, how many classes are we going to start making? <laughs> and these are not cheap classes. Um, and then through that, she ended up meeting more people and she ended up actually getting like a small like job or position where she doesn't have to work that much, but she can do some work for them like four hours a week. And so I kind of, you know, what she really taught me is when you take a break and you just eventually start pursuing what you personally enjoy, even if it doesn't have that clear directed path, you know, I think as a physician assistant, it was like, go to undergrad, go to PA school, become a PA, like it's such a clear path, such easy checkboxes. But for her to pursue her writing, the things that came out of it were so valuable, but you can't predict it beforehand. And I think what I learned from her doing that is that when you pursue something that's enjoyable to you, your passions, it ends up working out. And, you know, maybe not to make it sound easy or anything, because there's different difficult, definitely challenges, but it ends up working out because that's the thing you love to do. So you have no problem working on it for a lot of time. Michelle, Sammy just used some big words like passions, values, enjoyment. And it comes back to this idea of authenticity, which you guys talk a lot about in your podcast. How do you know what is authentic for you? And I I get this question about purpose a lot. Like, so now you've left the thing that was filling up all your time. You are not doing a nine to five or an eight to six anymore. How do you actually figure out what feels authentic to you? For both of us, I think the first step was just recognizing that we were out of alignment So understanding that a lot of our ego was tied to our job, a lot of our worth was tied to our job. I think that was my first big lesson when I left the corporate world, because I never thought that I cared that much that I was in sales. I didn't think I cared that much about my job title. But when you strip that away, all of a sudden, you're like, who am I? Who am I if I'm not working 40 hours a week or I don't have a company to attach myself for. So I think I started to feel that I was out of alignment when I was working, but recognizing, okay, I am unhappy. I am anxious. My body is telling me that I'm not happy. I lost a lot of weight during that time as well. That was the first step. And I think there's a lot of introspection involved, but one of the big things that we really like to do and that we really preach is trying to get a sense of what your values are. Sammy mentioned earlier, we were eating out all the time and she said that she's not a foodie. And so it's true. And I I sort of realized the same thing. I started cooking and I realized I actually really enjoy cooking. And so I was like, oh, I was just on autopilot. I was buying food all the time. I was eating out all the time. After a while, I wasn't really happy. I was just doing it because it was what I was doing. And so I think stopping the autopilot, evaluating your life and thinking, okay, what are my values? What are the things that are important to me? And investing your time, energy, and money there makes a big difference. Sammy, it's it's a funny thing, right? Because if you ask me this idea of what adulting is, right, before our conversation, for a lot of people, adulting is the big job. It's making the big money, buying the house, going on great vacations. It's certainly not moving back in with your parents into a (laughs) two-bedroom apartment or leaving corporate America and heading off on a sabbatical, ill-defined or undefined at least. 
Do we have this idea of adulting wrong? I mean, is the American conception of what adulting is off? Yeah, that's a great point. I think, you know, maybe for some people that is what they would truly want to do. But I think we all get told this narrative of what the American dream is. And, you know, we all kind of assume that that's what adulting is, getting that job, buying a house, you know, spending your money on things that you enjoy. And, you know, whether and maybe initially it was promoted as consumption with clothing. And then now I can see the consumption aspect being turned towards experiences and travel. And you can see how that's being marketed towards people. And I think it's hard for us to know what we truly want. And I think that's what status post-adulting is. It's learning your own values. And it's starting to realize, like, what would you do if literally nobody ever saw you? Like, if you were never, like, if you were in, like, a little enclosed space and nobody knew what you were doing, what would you actually do with your time? And I think that can help us understand our values because I think a lot of our values are shaped, you know, unfortunately, based on other people's opinions of us. And that can be helpful at some points in our life. But I think status post-adulting or that life after adulting is just really taking away that perspective of that outside eye and learning like what you would want to do if you were just, you know, by yourself or if you truly got to do what you wanted to do. Michelle, I'm coming up on almost 50 years old. So everyone looks young to me, but but you 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 two are both pretty young. Do you think your peers are actually examining their lives? I mean, are people looking at their lives and making these changes or are they just kind of on autopilot? When I think about my peers or people we've spoken to who listen to our podcast, It seems as though a lot of people are at that first stage where they realize, okay, I've checkboxed my way to this point. I went to the good school or I got the good job and now I'm unsatisfied or I'm spending all my time at this job. I'm not happy at the same time. Maybe I'm making good money. Maybe I'm supporting myself. And I'm also buying all of these things that now I have to pay for. So we find that a lot of people can recognize that they're unhappy or that something's out of alignment, but maybe they don't necessarily have the tools to understand, okay, how can I build a little bit of a financial foundation for myself so that I can go and explore those things? I think that was huge for both of us. Looking back, we were able to create a nest egg for ourselves. Like I, part of the reason I was able to go on this journey was because I had saved up money and I was able to take advantage of certain things like living with my parents and spending time with them. And that gave me the time and space and energy to actually look at my life and say, okay, how can I design my life so that it's more aligned for the things that I want to do? But I think a lot of people we were in this situation where you're working all day, then you're numbing your brain with booze, with food, with television, and you're not really giving yourself the space to be bored and examine your life. And if there's a way that you can create that space for yourself, I think that's when you really have the opportunity to recognize that you're out of alignment and then start to build a life that actually is more in alignment with what you want. Wait, Michelle, you're telling me it's okay to be bored? I mean, isn't boredom (laughs) bad? What do you mean? Boredom is very, very, very good. It's funny. I think we accidentally did this, but sometimes I joke to people that I just seem increasingly unfun as they talk to me because (laughs) we both stopped really like watching television. Like I remember I kind of stopped watching television and movies just because I got bored of them, deleted my social media after a certain point. I stopped drinking. So I've really been taking away a lot of these things that for me felt like mindless consumption. And I think what happened was I did have moments where I could just sit and think. And a lot of times people who I think are deep in that world will ask me, well, what do you do all day? Like, don't you get bored? And I'm like, yeah, I do. And then I I sort of think and I write or I read and I have this opportunity to explore myself and understand myself a little bit better. And I would agree with Michelle, what Michelle just said. I think that lack of boredom actually is what leads people to living that 
mindless life where they're just going to work, you know, maybe they're buying the things that they see their friends buy and they're they're really on autopilot, but part of that is because they just also don't have that time or space to stop and think and reflect about their life. Whether that's because they actually don't have the time because of how much things they have going on or because when they do have time they're using television or social media or those kind of things to fill their brain, they don't get that space to be bored and reevaluate what's going on. Michelle, we've been talking again about money up to this point, but I love this idea of reevaluating how you look at other things in your life and making different decisions. Let's talk about one aspect of your life and a different decision you made. Is it true that you offered your friends a bounty to find you a mate? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I did. I wrote about this recently. I So in the past couple of years, I've been single, but I really haven't been dating. I was living at home. I moved to this small town. I was focused on rebuilding my career, evaluating my life. And so I'm starting to think about my next steps in life. And so I, I told my friends, I said, hey, I would love if you guys keep me in mind in case you meet somebody, an eligible bachelor. And to let them know that I was serious, I told them like, hey, I'll, if you introduce me to my husband, I'll give you $1,000 on my wedding day. And let me tell you, if you want your friends to introduce you to somebody, let them know that you'll pay them because it has changed everything. Now, all of a sudden, they're just thinking a little bit more seriously. They even joked with me. They were like, we don't want your money. $1,000 is nothing. I guess these people, uh, there must be very rich. <laughs> but it does actually make people know that I'm serious. And it's been fun because especially since I wrote about it, other people have reached out to me. My mom wants to get involved. Now everybody is starting to think about, hey, okay, Michelle's looking for her husband. Uh, Let's think about how we can get in on this. And it's really cool because I think I have a lot of really great people in my life. And it's really just about letting them know that I'm thinking about those next steps. Michelle, is that bounty open also to the podcast? Like if someone, you know, contacts you after listening to this podcast and you end up marrying them, um, does Earn and Invest get a thousand dollars? Maybe you could get a 10% fee if somebody on the podcast hears it. I will say I had to make a couple of rules. I was like, you cannot split to the winnings with my future <laughs> husband. I didn't want not want a crazy rom-com situation. <laughs> um, but other than that, hey, I'm 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 open-minded. Sammy, you know, it, it, you know, we're joking here, but it's an interesting question because now as you guys have got much more intentional about things like your finances, how do you think that's going to affect your dating life? I mean, you are now coming at money in a way that a lot of people don't possibly potential might, mates may not kind of have your understanding of the importance of how you spend your money and time. Is that something you you're concerned about? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that comes up and, you know, because we're so intentional about how we live our lives now and, you know, even just the not drinking, like going on a date and be like, Oh yeah, we can go to a bar, but I'm not going to drink. Um, you know, people, it's gonna automatically deter some people for sure. But I think that just helps weed out people who are really out of alignment too. So it actually makes the decision fatigue a little easier because you have less choices because you know, the people you're not really going to align with as much. Um, there are options like the fire dating site. Mm-hmm. I'm on it. <laughs> um, and that's interesting because you meet so many people who are so similar to you, but then it's almost like too similar for me personally. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I met somebody who like I sleep on the floor because I find that more comfortable and, you know, I don't have to buy a mattress that way. I like eating like sardines for breakfast because they're kind of cheap. And then they're also healthy ish. Like at least they got the fish aspect to it. And literally this person did the same thing. They slept on the floor. They (laughs) ate sardines, the same exact brand. And I'm like, okay, maybe we are too similar because I've never met anybody this much like me. But but it does it does help kind of especially I think with the values you no know, it just kind of helps me be aware of my values so I can see that in a partner too. So Michelle, wrapping up the conversation, when do we become adults? When do you feel like you two both became adults? It's interesting because looking back on it, I think 
we use this phrase adulting almost to coddle ourselves in this in-between stage, like to say, oh, we're not real adults yet because we're still learning how to do basic things, whatever that means to you when you're going from your teens to your 20s, going from into the work life, whatever that may be. But I think the real thing is, is that we're not doing enough self-reflection during those times. And so I know when I was younger, I felt I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but a lot of it was based off of what my friends were doing. Where are my friends moving? New York, San Francisco? Okay, that's where I'm considering. What type of jobs are my friends doing? I think you. everybody goes through that. I think we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to test different things. But I think a lot of times this idea of adulting, sometimes we almost use it as a cushion or as something to use as an excuse. Like, well, a lot of times when you hear people talk about adulting, they'll use it kind of sarcastically. Like, oh, I missed my rent check. Hashtag adulting. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, no, no, you got to figure it out. <laughs> you got to pay your rent. <laughs> Um, so I think I, I would say that it's normal to go through those transitions in your life and there's nothing wrong with it. But if you do have the opportunity to evaluate your life and just start to see, are there certain things, whether it's about money, whether it's about time, whether it's about energy, if you're spending your precious resources on things that you don't like and you don't have to Take the time, reevaluate, be very atten- intentional, and uh, take out those things. And then when you take out those things, maybe you'll have an opportunity to be a little bit bored and you can start to say, okay, what are the things I want to spend my money on? What are the things I want to spend my time and energy on? And that reevaluation of your life is so worth it. Like it has really opened up our eyes to see how we can just live a much, much more meaningful life and something that's very authentic to both of us. Well, Sammy and Michelle, I wanted to thank you for coming on today. Clearly, I draw from this conversation what you just said, this idea that adulting actually is dropping all those conceptions that other people have for us in our life. It's turning off Instagram for a moment and examining our own lives. And sometimes that means striving towards boredom or giving yourself the space and time to learn how to be intentional. I think it's something we can do any time in our life, certainly as young adults, but also later on when we realize that the things we're doing, the things that take up our time every day, aren't necessarily in alignment with our values or what makes us happy. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your lives and where we can find you. So, Sammy, let's start with you. What is coming up next for the Build a Wealthy Spirit podcast? Yes. So we just launched our new brand. So we moved from status post adulting to build a wealthy spirit because one thing we've realized when we've been working on our podcast is it is truly about building wealth, but for the purpose of living that life that's in alignment. So it's that spiritual aspect. And we, for us, we see that those things are just like super connected. And that's what this podcast is all about. So we just launched the Build a Wealthy Spirit podcast. Um, so you can check us out. You can check out our Substack, And there we'll also have some of Michelle's writings and her thoughts on being on her sabbatical. So check us out there. And Michelle, can you give us the actual uh, link or how can we actually reach your Substack or learn more about the podcast? Maybe the best place to go is all of our social email is at Build a Wealthy Spirit. And we'll send over the link for our website, buildawealthyspirit.com. And you can find me at M Bargoose, M V as in Victor, A R G H O O S E on Twitter. I have links to everything there as well. And so that'll give you an opportunity to check out our podcast. And if you do enjoy it, reach out. We would love to hear from you. This has been the Earn and Invest Podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Michelle and Sammy. That's a wrap. Earn and Invest is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to this show as well as other fine podcasts.
Awesome. I leave things running just a few minutes to catch anything we say as the after show. Um, yeah, I really like this. I mean, I love. I, I have to say, I really loved your first episode because I think it lays out this idea of why this stuff is important. And I think, you know, be- being on autopilot is just something we all do. And we start striving for everyone else's quote unquote dreams and not our own. And so I think your guys' story is really captivating in that sense that you've done the exact opposite, right? You said, okay, forget all that. Like what's what's important to me? Um, and I think that is real value. Yeah. It, it's funny when we were driving to this small town I joked with Sammy. I was like, this is really on brand for us. <laughs> I was like, we didn't do it for that reason, but here we are in the middle of nowhere. We're living what we're preaching. But I, I agree. I, I'm glad the first episode resonated with you. I think we're going to talk about it a little bit more on our first episode with Build a Wealthy Spirit because it's a good thing to just remind our listeners like this is the journey that we are on and we really want to help anybody who's on a similar journey like we really want to give people the tools to think through those things and we're really excited for this next phase of our podcast yeah absolutely we we always joke that we're like I think people think we're part of some like religious cult or something because we've like eliminated so many things from our lives but I think it is all about intentionality and um I think the reason for the podcast is just, you know, we see our friends out there and, you know, you can't tell people how you want them to do things. But I think just like showing them what's going on, it just gives them ideas on how to live their life. We don't want anyone to be like, oh, my gosh, you guys are living this life with intention. And I never knew what was going on. So it creates like a little roadmap for everybody, too. You know what I also liked um, from that first episode, which is great for people who don't know you personally, is one of the first things you did is you told the colposcopy story, which <laughs> which was though very endearing in the sense that it opened us up to this idea that, okay, you're going to talk about your lives. You're going to be incredibly open, right? This is, you're not, you're not hiding anything. You're not trying to be anyone you are, um, but it set the stage for kind of the deeper conversation with a little bit of humor. It brought in a little bit of your family and the relationship you have with your mom. Um, and I thought that was really cute. Yeah, it was genuine emotion, too, because Michelle did not realize I told my mom about all that stuff about her colposcopy. <laughs> so she genuinely got kind of upset on the podcast, too. I was like, what? Yeah. Recording? <laughs> I guess we'll just have to keep going. But I think it's very authentic to what status post-adulting and now build a wealthy spirit represent. Like we do try to be really open. People love the story with our parents. We love to share them. They're so funny. They're like little characters in themselves. They are. Well, just being like Indian people, but also just they themselves march to their own beat. And so it's just really funny, especially when we were living at home, we had all the best material. (laughs) You're like, we got to move back at home. (laughs) You went to lived in a small town for a while and then you feel like the material is drying up. So then you move back home to be with your parents. (laughs) Our parents after a while, they're like, are you going to tell this on your podcast? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) We're like, you better watch yourself because we just might. (laughs) As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast. So keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.